let me uh, also congratulate Mark and Kendall Ludwig on completing a half marathon yesterday. Um, thank you. I think that each of them completing a half marathon adds up to a whole marathon, so congratulations. They also, uh, in the course of this, raised, uh, uh, what, 700 bucks for the Siley Women Enterprise, so way to go, and thanks to all of you who participated in that. Um, so we're honored to have with us as our guest this morning, Rabbi Daniel Berg, uh, and uh, his son Shamir is here with us as well, uh, <laughs> to keep an eye on his old man. Uh, Daniel is a uh, rabbi at Beth Am, synagogue uh, down near the zoo. And uh, Daniel, what's a nice Jewish boy like you doing in a place like that? How did I get to Beth Am, you mean? Well, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, so I came, I uh, was ordained in 05, and then I came to Chicago, where I'm from, actually spent five years there. So if you, uh, I didn't hear anyone pray for the Cubs uh, earlier, um, but uh, we, we, 107 years, we could use your prayers. So uh, um, thank you for that. Uh, and then spent five years as uh, one of the rabbis at the synagogue there, and then came to Baltimore, and I was really taken by Beth Am's mission in history in this classically Jewish neighborhood, an historically Jewish neighborhood that's now become a very diverse neighborhood, and the opportunity to try to soften some boundaries and um, hopefully repair some of the brokenness in, in our city. Yeah, tell me about some of the work you've been doing with that, because you've been working with... Uh, uh, Andrew Foster Connors at uh, Brown Memorial Park Avenue, among others. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Andrew's definitely a great partner and friend, and uh, uh, he's been wonderful with Build. Uh, uh, you know, a lot of the work is trying to focus on our neighborhood and our immediate surroundings, figuring out how we, how we can be both in and for our neighborhood, but also of our neighborhood, and especially considering that most of our congregation doesn't live in the immediate vicinity of the synagogue uh, anymore, though we have a, a growing Jewish population in the city and in Resbury Hill as well. Uh, we also, I really want to challenge them and they want to challenge themselves to think of our surrounding neighborhood as our neighborhood uh, by dint of our worshiping there and learning there and serving there and that if we can take that kind of posture instead of um, the the uh, the sort of paternalistic posture that often we take when we do social justice work, um, perhaps we can also have a, a better sense of how this is really a collaborative enterprise of improving ourselves in addition to improving our community. And, and tell us a little bit about your, your congregation. Now, you meet in the old Chizikamuna uh, Yeah, they uh, left building, us a right? great building uh, when they moved to the county. And uh, uh, it was built in 1922. It's a historic Grand Moorish uh, building designed by Joseph and Spiri, who did the uh, Bromo Seltzer Tower and a uh, number of houses of worship as well. It's a beautiful, beautiful place. I feel very privileged to be there. And we live across the street, so it's really convenient. That's great. And your, uh, your wife, Miriam, is also a rabbi? She, I guess I'm also the rabbi. She was the rabbi first. <laughs> and, uh, and actually, that's why she's not able to be here today. She uh, is the director of Jewish life at Capital Camps and Retreat Center in Waynesboro, Pennsylvania. So she is the camp rabbi over the summer. And then she runs several content-rich retreats throughout the year. And she's doing a mother-daughter retreat right now up there. So my daughter is with her. And she's got 30 families uh, running around and doing camp things this weekend. So. And then you and Shamir sit around in your underwear and scratch yourselves. We were uh, going to, yeah, we're hanging out. Uh, good. Exactly like that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah good. Well, um, uh, as I, 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 by the way, I, I don't think I've ever said that from the pulpit at, at Beth Am. And 
and, uh, and I, I applaud you for uh, creating the atmosphere where you can talk about your underwear. You, you, you might be surprised. <laughs> we, uh, so, as I told you, we've been going through the book of Hosea. Um, we actually, uh, about, uh, gosh, this is what, five years ago, we, we went through Torah. We actually followed the, the same calendar that, that uh, you guys do. So basically, whatever you all were doing Saturday morning, we did uh, Sunday morning. In the course of that, we were able to have a number of our colleagues uh, come and, and talk. Um, and uh, thrilled that uh, you're able to kind of, that basically people keep clamoring for me to bring more rabbis. So um, it's like the opposite of uh, what we have in synagogue. <laughs> <laughs> um, so tell me just, uh, you know, Hosea, of course, is one of the prophets. And, uh, you know, usually what you guys are, are working out of uh, is, is Torah. But how is a, a book like Hosea read? How is it used? How is it studied? How is it dealt with in a congregation like yours? Yeah, it's, it's great. It's really interesting. Uh, so when you, when you uh, spoke to me about coming here and, and speaking I, I, and with you, I thought that's great. And then you said, and we're doing Hosea. And I said, oh, uh, Right, Hosea, that's good. Uh, uh, it's sort of interesting. You know, we, we, so we obviously we read from the prophets, and, and the Hebrew Bible is divided into three um, distinct books or collections of books, Torah, Nevi'im, Prophets, and Ketuvim, the writing. So, so we read from the prophets, but we don't really read it cover to cover. At least we, we should, but we, but we don't so much, not in the liturgical settings. So we, have, we totally do all the time. Yeah, no, it's, it's good. <laughs> um, you should see how, like, if you open up the Bible of any of these people in the congregation, like, you know, the, the book of, of uh, Zechariah is just all, you know, footnoted, and there's, well, It's always know, great to be when, I, when I'm with Christian colleagues, and they're, and they're, you know, quoting, like, chronicles or something like that, and, I, and, and you know, my people would be like, is that in our Bible? I, I'm not sure. <laughs> I thought that was in the other one, not sure, and uh, yeah, so Hosea is one that we actually do read from several times a year. We have what's called the Haftorah portion, uh, which is a prophetic reading assigned to the Torah reading, and we make our way through the Torah every year, and then the prophets are meant to kind of bolster the themes that are there in the, in the five books of Moses. Um, so Hosea shows up a couple of times when there are thematic similarities, uh, and that's also true with the other prophets, minor and, and major prophets as well. Uh, so we, we, we come to him. Uh, some of the imagery in Hosea, I would say, has uh, been very impactful in terms of Jewish thinking and Jewish theology. That's so give us, an, give us an example of that. I mean, all of the marriage and betrayal imagery in Hosea, uh, I would say, I mean, to my knowledge, uh, I think he was really the first prophet to kind of popularize this idea of the Jewish people being married to God, as it were, and being in a somewhat dysfunctional marriage, actually, with God. And so... Uh, his life and then his, his prophecy um, ends up informing a whole body of literature within Judaism, including making its way uh, even into Kabbalah, into Jewish mysticism. So there's a lot of imagery of um, uh, sexual union, of, of, of marriage, of betrayal, of uh, intimacy that shows up uh, in, in the Kabbalah, uh, in Zohar and other places in Jewish mysticism. Uh, Friday night services, for example, 
we sing a hymn uh, called L'Chadudi, where we welcome the bride, the Shabbat bride on Friday night. And the imagery is, is, is very potent, actually. It's all about sort of the union with the bride coming in. And the Kabbalists talked about, um, Shamir, cover your ears. The, Kab- uh, the Kabbalists uh, talked about how that, that intimate coming together, even of a, of a husband and wife, for example, on Friday night, uh, it has uh, kind of cosmic implications, uh, and they would they would talk about that, and and so the imagery is very much about sort of the uh, the relationship between individual being uh, evocative of our collective relationship with God, and then when we encounter difficulties in relationship, that ought to also remind us ultimately of the covenantal relationship with God, the breach which transcends any particular issues that we may be having at a particular moment. That's the hope, anyway. And and Lachad Dorit comes from Song of Songs, right? Well, it, it borrows from a lot yeah. of different places, yeah. So it's sort of strung together verses from throughout Tanakh, throughout the, the Hebrew Bible, uh, and some of it certainly from Song of Songs, yeah. We, we did that one, too, over the summer uh-huh. a few years ago. That's great. You, some of the people are still blushing. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, let's, let's, uh, let's grab this uh, here text and take a look um, at, uh, let's look at that uh, verse, sure. chapter 6, verse 6. Uh, okay. So first of all, so, so that the people can hear what this is really supposed to sound like, would you read uh, uh, verse 6 in the, uh, in the Hebrew? Sure. Yeah, thanks. Chapter 6 and verse 6. Yeah. We're, we're keeping it simple for people like you. So. Yeah, you're right. Great, thanks. So... Um, uh, there's a quote in, in the bulletin from Abraham Joshua Heschel, uh, who is a Jewish philosopher and uh, somebody who's really in, impacted my reading of the prophets. Um, and, uh, and Heschel talks a lot in his book on the prophets about this da'at Elohim, this, this knowledge of God, the, the, the root is yada, right? Um, and and we, we get this, this word uh, yada in, in a whole bunch of different places, right? Uh, and the, the first place we see it is, is in Genesis, right? Where and Adam knew his wife. In the biblical sense. In the biblical sense, yeah. That's the origin. Yeah, so my, my main question is, is there a way to form that word where you get Yoda? Um, I am and what does that mean? I'm, I'm, I'm convinced, actually, that's why he's named that. Is I it? Think, I, I don't know. Shamir, do you think Yoda is named Yoda because he's knowledgeable? I think so. Yeah, okay. Shamir's a big Star Wars fan. Good, excellent, so. good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Faithful I am, right. Yes, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, so w- w- this, this idea of knowledge of God, of Da'at Elohim, how, does, how is that uh, uh, talked about in, in Jewish tradition as you've encountered it? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's interesting. I mean, Heschel saw himself, I think, in some ways as a prophet or at least reviving the prophetic tradition, which is something that... that you know, was, as I mentioned, there, but not focused on... Reform Judaism actually spends more time focused on the prophets than conservative or orthodox Judaism. Um, but that was certainly Heschel's calling, is to revive the, the prophetic 
um, sensibilities. Uh, you know, Da'at Elohim, uh, uh, the knowledge of God um, for us, um, I would say, is, is about that kind of intimate connection. So there, there, is, a, there is a word um, uh, to, to know someone, like you and I know each other, it, it wouldn't be, it would be Lakir, it wouldn't be Lada'at, because um, Lada'at would imply a certain relationship, which probably both of our spouses would frown on. So, um, and, uh, and, and so when we talk about applying that to relationships, it's there. I think that's actually deliberate when we talk about a relationship with God, and certainly in the context of Hosea, that's the imagery. So, uh, yeah. Well, and, and one of the, the dimensions of this that is, is often alien, I think, to our Western sensibilities is we usually think about uh, love as something that is between persons. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the, uh, one of the things I think we always have to um, uh, train ourselves uh, to do when we read, especially um, in, in Tanakh, um, the, the understanding of a relationship with with Hashem, with God, is between the people and God. So there's there is an a, a, a personal aspect to it for each person, but the idea is that it is the whole people of Israel that are in relationship with God. That's correct, and therefore we're responsible for one another's successes and also one another's sins. And uh, the theology, at least, of uh, the Bible and the Torah uh, is at least in part about how certain things that have happened to us through time are a result of our failings as a people in our fidelity uh, to God. Now, of course, in some ways that's a problematic theology, and uh, if that were the only theology in Torah or in rabbinic literature, um, I might find a different, a different job. But, um, but I, you know, ours is certainly a very polyvocal tradition, and so that one thought about theology or theodicy has to be put in conversation with other ideas as well, um, and I think that helps hopefully save us from too much of the kind of self-blame that's a bit of a danger to that. But, but yeah, I mean, we are responsible for our actions, and we're responsible for one another, and we, and we usually pray in the plural in that sense. So, for, for example, Yom Kippur, we just had our Day of Atonement, and on Yom Kippur, when we do our confessional prayers, the vidui we call them, uh, it's all in the plural. We have sinned, we have stolen, we have betrayed, we have gossiped, and, and it doesn't matter if you yourself haven't done that particular sin this year because, you know, the person sitting next to me might have, and certainly somebody in the room did. And, and do you so have everybody, happened. like, raise their hand when it gets to their we, part? We, right, yeah. we sort of go around yeah. and, and we, <laughs> we have scarlet A's, we... <laughs> You know, what's interesting about this verse is, uh, you know, it's funny, you're, you're kind of focused on the second part of the verse. I actually, my eye was drawn to the first part of the verse, right, um, yeah. that, that, um, that it's, it's loyalty uh, that I demand and not sacrifices, which is a place actually where Judaism, rabbinic Judaism, parts from temple Judaism, and maybe in some ways, Jewish theology departs from Christian theology as well. Uh, uh, so, you know, when 
Hosea, at least in our understanding, is saying that, he, he's not saying don't do sacrifices. He's saying make your sacrifices matter. Right. Uh, and uh, certainly that's also true for Isaiah and others. Uh, yeah. So. Well, uh, funny you mention that. Go ahead and uh, grab, you can grab the uh, fake Bible there. Um, <laughs> in, uh, in, in Matthew, actually, Jesus picks up on this, um, right. on this passage. He, he, his eye evidently, like yours, was drawn to the first half of the verse. Uh-huh. So, uh, so the rabbis uh, are getting it right. Um, this is in, in chapter 9, uh, the calling of, of Matthew, or, or Levi, um, who had been a tax collector. <laughs> I wish I, I don't know the order. Oh, I'm sorry, where, where are you now? Well, uh, keep going. I, I mean, right. I see Zechariah. Keep, keep going to the right. You're, you're other right. Sorry, yeah. He's ours. We go left to right. But Tobit, I don't keep, think No, that's, yeah, that's the apocrypha. Okay, we don't take that on. seriously. We've got Song of Song. I'm so keep, confused. Yeah, sorry. Okay. Right, where are go. you now? Maccabees. Keep going. Yeah, you're almost there. That's sort of ours, but not. Yeah, yeah no, right. not really. Yeah. There, Matthew's the oh, first wait, gospel. I know, there you there go, we yeah. go. Gospels. Okay. Yeah, Excellent. No, sorry. I wait. should have marked it for you. No, no, no. It's okay. Yeah. It's good. <laughs> now you know what it's like when I go to one of your services and I'm trying to flip around and follow it. Yeah. And it goes right to left. Yeah. It does. Yeah. And it's also like in Hebrew. What um, chapter and verse? Uh, chapter nine. Okay. Um, and uh, it's going to start in verse nine. I'll read the I'll read the passage, um, and uh, it, it, as as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. Now, while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, "Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners?" On hearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. So, but go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have come not to call the righteous, but sinners. Mm. Yeah. So, um, of course, as, as we've, as we've talked about here, the Pharisees often get a bad rap, um, and, uh, some of Jesus's disputes with the Pharisees kind of feel like, um, Tea Party libertarians and Tea Party conservatives yelling at each other, um, in in the sense that uh, you know often the the most uh, uh, harsh language is used uh, among people who are part of the same community and who who have so many common commitments. Um, so uh, the polemic, if we if we read some of the uh, the polemical language Jesus uses without recognizing the context, uh, we can think that he's um, treating people much more abusively or rudely than, in fact, he was. At the same time, rhetorically speaking, he definitely does bring the smackdown, um, especially in Matthew. So, um, so in this passage, you have uh, Jesus inviting Matthew, who is a tax collector, i.e. a, a collaborator with the, with the Romans, with the, um, uh, the, the uh, alien government that uh, had uh, its boot on, on Israel's neck, um, and uh, so Matthew was not only collaborating with the Romans, he was probably profiting personally from his position. Um, and, uh, and then Jesus not only uh, uh, goes and hangs out at his house, but he's hanging out with all kinds of other unsavory characters, probably like Steelers fans and stuff there too. Um, and uh, in fact, Jesus, elsewhere we find out, has a reputation as a glutton and a drunkard because of the kind of company he keeps and the sorts of things that people do when they get together. So what's that? Yeah. So, um, yes. Oh, yeah. Well, that's and that's one of the interesting things is when Jesus does encounter taxation, um, he doesn't 
stage a tax revolt and and uh he actually says you know look pay just pay your taxes we got other things we got to deal with right now um but um so here jesus in 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 responding to those who are challenging him mm-hmm. whips out this this verse from hosea go and learn what this which again i love you know go and you're, you're telling you're saying go and learn what this means to somebody who is you know, been studying this all his life. It's, you know, it's like telling Ray Lewis, maybe you ought to work out a little bit. Uh, <laughs> so go and learn what this means. I, desert, I desire mercy, chesed, not, not sacrifice. So, it, you know, from, from your perspective, as you see that, uh, does that strike you as, as a, a, a legitimate reading of Hosea? Does that seem to be taken out of context? Does it, uh, when, when you, uh, if you imagine yourself as a spectator at this, I guess if you were a spectator, you would have been one of the, one of the gluttons and drunkards hanging out with, with Matthew. But. Uh, it, depends, it depends on what was going on. So yeah. help me understand, yeah. maybe, maybe tell me what the verse might mean to you. Cause yeah then I might understand whether or not I agree. Right. Well, so, yeah, no. <laughs> the, so so as, I, as I read this, Jesus is, uh, Jesus is being challenged um, for, for hanging out with, with the wrong sort. Right. Right. Um, and uh, and the, the Pharisees are, are saying to his disciples, um, what, you know, not just hang out, but he's eating with them. So there's a sense of, of uh, 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 you know, being involved in, in a uh, communal activity, sort of sharing in the, the being of the people with whom you're eating. Um, and, and so he's saying, why are you why? Why does your teacher hang out with with the wrong sort? And Jesus's response is basically, well, you know, if if I'm being called to uh to if my job is to call out those who are sinners those who who need god's help then obviously those are the people i should be going to uh, you know you, you, the doctor hangs out at a hospital um and and not at a spa so um if if uh if if god desires mercy rather than sacrifice um i should be showing mercy to these people who um, who are uh, who are in need of God's mercy and reaching out to them, um, but then I say, yeah, why? Why? What does sacrifice has well, to have to I do that? Is, is Jesus saying, you know, it, it, am I doing that instead of going to the temple to bring sacrifice? Am I reaching out to people who are uh, who are in need of God and, and aren't in contact with Him, or am I going with the people who are already worshiping Him properly and and uh, and bring sacrifice? Right, and I guess that for me, that's the that's really the critical question: is is it a commentary on the ineptitude and corruption that exist in in Israelite society of the day, which, um, in that sense, it seems like a pretty fair critique, uh, or is it a broader comment on uh, the legitimacy of temple worship? Uh, and that's not what's the, no, it's, no. I, I, ironically, the Pharisees end up in some ways siding with this uh, resistance to temple worship, but they, they never state that uh, explicitly. They really can't. And, of course, there are different camps within rabbinic Judaism. So just yeah. very briefly, um, Pharisaic uh, interpretation leads to this thing called rabbinic Judaism. And then within rabbinic Judaism, there are different competing streams of thought about whether or not we ought to be really fervently praying for the rebuilding of the temple and the return to sacrifice, and others who would say, well, you know, yeah, that would be good, but 
there's this other thing, prayer and study and service, and those things really count too, and they even go further in some cases and say those things are even better than sacrifice. So there's, there's sort of a strange uh, place that the Pharisaic tradition leads us to, which is on one hand, we would never reject the idea of sacrifice, but, uh, but there is a, a sort of rejection of the necessity of sacrifice, and that's, that's true, I think, even to our day. So the conservative movement, for example, of which uh, I am a, a member uh, and leader, I guess, uh, would hold that we still include talk about sacrifices in our prayers, but I would guess that most of us, when we're actually praying, are not literally hoping for the restoration of the temple. I mean, especially if you sort of look at the news right now, what's going on on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem and some of the, uh, the fighting that's going around. There are some, uh, some Jews who do fervently believe that they would like to just sort of eliminate the Dome of the Rock and put the temple there, and I think that's deeply problematic. I, I don't think that that's a normative position. I know it's not a normative position within Judaism, but it's something uh, that we, um, that does exist uh, for us. And so, um, you know, if it's a rejection of the sacrificial rite, okay, if it's a rejection of Judaism and it's meant to be a sort of supersessionist comment, then, then obviously it raises other questions. And, and then it depends on whether you're reading Jesus as, as uh, 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 well, that gets into bigger questions. Mm. I don't want to uh, take up all the time, and I want to make sure you all have a chance to ask uh, Daniel uh, some, your questions. So, Chris, why don't you go ahead? <clears throat> There's people trying to breed a red heifer. Yeah, yeah. There was a show about it, Dig. Did you see that? That was was sort of interesting. That was on. uh, It was all about this like secret collaboration between ultra Orthodox Jews and right wing evangelical Christians trying to sort of like raise this bar mitzvah boy and raise a red heifer and get him to basically bring about the apocalypse. So, so they're. Because God uh, totally works like that. I, yeah, I if you can I, just get a bar mitzvah boy and a red heifer, then he <laughs> has to do what you say, right? As far as I'm concerned, the Cubs being in the pennant race is enough. No, of the I'm serious. Of the it, I, I, I think I I'm going to have my insurance guy on the phone coming. if this. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah if the Cubs win, I'm um, cashing that out. But yeah, so there, there certainly are. Uh, look, I mean, there are there there's religious fundamentalism in in any. Uh, in any religion, and there, I would say this fundamentalism in any ideology, right? Not even just religion. So um, there absolutely are a certain subset of the Jewish community who would literally like to return to the temple. Some of them are, are more, you know, anxious about doing that immediately than others. Uh, most of them, I think, are a little saner uh, and say, well, you know, when it happens, when God makes it happen, we're good, but until then, we're just going to keep doing what we do. But yeah, absolutely. There are some people who would like that very much. Can I?
Right, so the, the, what I was referring to was a line from Tirsi Avot, which is the Ethics of the Fathers. It's a tractate of the Mishnah, which is a second century rabbinic text from the land of Israel. And it says, Al Shloshad Varim HaOlem Omed, the world stands on three things, on Torah, right, namely on learning, on Avodah, and on Gimilut Chasadim. Gimilut Chasadim, we would translate as acts of kindness and, and service. And Avodah is really work, uh, which classically meant sacrifice, but the rabbis then come to understand as prayer. And so they feel that prayer is a legitimate substitution for sacrifice. And when we allude to the sacrifices in our prayers, it's as if we're really offering those sacrifices. And, and the temple worship actually kind of migrates into the synagogue in part and into the home as well, where we have different rituals that we do that remind us of, of sacrifice. So that's the, that's the basic idea. Um, the one other thing I would say very briefly is that the word in Hebrew for sacrifice, although it's not the one that's used uh, here, it's, here it's uh, zevach, um, uh, which, is, which is sort of a burnt uh, uh, offering, something that's, uh, but another word that's often used for sacrifice is korban, and korban comes from the Hebrew karov, uh, which means near. So there was always an understanding that sacrifice was in part about giving something up, which is, I think, more the English word that we think of when it comes to sacrifice. But it was also always about drawing near to God. It wasn't just about giving something up. So korban is meant, and that obviously is not something we've given up being rabbinic Jews. Uh, we just draw near to God in, in different ways and in multiple settings and not just the one setting in Jerusalem. Other questions? Yeah, Chris. Uh, so Reverend Foster Connors is very involved in Build. I've had some um, some contact with them, but we make common cause uh, around issues mostly. You mean? What, like social justice work or community engagement work. Yeah, look, I mean, um, one place that, that Andrew and I worked together was on marriage equality, for example. We both testified and were very supportive of the, the change in, in the laws at the time a couple of years ago. Uh, when it comes to the community engagement piece, uh, I think what I'm trying to do, what we're trying to do is tease out uh, it, a, a very deep aspect of Jewish identity, which has been, to my mind, somewhat suppressed, actually. Uh, and uh, I can say a lot about this. I'll say, try to say a little bit about this, because you know, our services are two and a half hours long. Uh, uh, but I understand yours aren't, so I will, I will endeavor not to make them uh, two and a half hours. Uh, you know, the, the double-edged sword of being both a religion and a nation, a people, uh, an ethnic and cultural heritage, a collective memory, right? Um, which, which is really very much what it is to be Jewish. It was actually only after the Enlightenment that Jews started to think of ourselves as, as a religion, that there was this thing called being Jewish that was part of a religion called Judaism. We were a people. We've always been a people who happened to have some common beliefs, like 
you know, belief in one God. Uh, so, um, w the, but the challenge of that is that we can also be a little parochial at times. Uh, I mean, you know, you're the ones who are in Pikesville, so. <laughs> I mean, I live, you know, I live in a, in a majority black neighborhood uh, in what was once the Jewish neighborhood in Baltimore, but the Jewish community kind of migrated, and that has, there are all kinds of reasons for that, including racist and anti-Semitic housing policies, uh, laws and, and covenants and things like that. But, but part of it was also, I think, a, 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 an instinct to want to kind of take care of our own and, and be together as a community. Uh, and that's great because we have a wonderful social safety net and we do take care of our own and our federation, the associated, um, collects money to take care of those who are on the margins and uh, those who are impoverished within our community in addition to beyond our community. But it also raises questions about, um, you know, how do we see the other? How do we interact with the other? How do we judge the other? And um, there certainly is bigotry and racism um, uh, within, within uh, the Jewish community, in some communities more than others. Uh, and in my congregation, I like to think not so much, but, but owning the, that aspect of ourselves and trying to kind of work through that to a place where we also get to the Jewish value of the divine in every human being, right? I mean, Genesis 1 that you brought up, Jason, uh, says that, that each of us is created in, in the image of God. And so that doesn't mean uh, that, that we are, in being God's chosen people, somehow better than others. And I think that's really a mischaracterization, a misunderstanding of chosenness. Right? You have to be chosen for something. So, uh, so we may have been chosen for certain things, and other peoples are chosen for other things, but we all live in relationship with God. And if that's the premise, then we owe it to ourselves and we owe it to our communities to uh, try to actually meet people who are different from us and look different from us and believe different things from us and try to work through some of the structural and systemic challenges that we have in a city like Baltimore and... I don't have to tell you, this year we've certainly seen and been reminded of how many there really are. Uh, any, uh, oh yeah, Kendall? Uh, not much. I mean, if you're asking, like, you know, was there looting in my neighborhood? Not really. It's one of the nice, one of the advantages of not having a lot of commercial stuff in Redford Hill is there really wasn't anything to loot. But, you know, it's funny, even saying riots, right, which is, not, which is not inaccurate, but it's a choice of one particular aspect of what happened, right? So some people say unrest because that's sort of neutral, and some people say riots because that's what certainly, you know, the camera lenses noticed. Uh, others would say uprising because most of what was happening was very much peaceful protests of uh, communities who have felt uh, neglected and and um, and and worse for a very long time, and so what we saw come out of this, a lot of it I think was really healthy, kind of productive anger and frustration, and I think we're continuing to see that. And my hope is that will remain largely productive. But um, but you know there were I mean Shamir and I went out the day after the uh, what the actual rioting that happened and we were cleaning up uh, West Baltimore with a lot of other folks out there and, and, and many from faith communities, which was, of course, not surprising but wonderful to see. And, and there were so many more people out the next day cleaning up than there were 
the previous day making trouble. Uh, you know, like, look, there's, there's a certain segment of society who follow the law because they don't want to get caught. And I don't care if you're, you know, uh, if you're a, a, a poor black mother living in inner city Baltimore who, you know, sees that, you know, a, the door of a store is broken into so you can run in and get some free toilet paper, or if you're, you know, Bernie Madoff who steals millions and millions of dollars. Like, like that, that has nothing to do with class or race or, or socioeconomic status. Um, it, and so it's really, it's problematic, I think, that so much of the energy was, it's, so much of the focus is on that very narrow, you know, group of people who were either doing really criminal things or doing sort of opportunist things, which are wrong, but, but, but certainly a lot less wrong than some of the things that have been done to African-American communities and to blacks in this country. Any other questions uh, before we finish up? Well, uh, let's all thank uh, Rabbi Daniel for taking the time to be with us this morning. Thank you. My pleasure. Appreciate Thanks it. And uh, we'll invite the worship team to come back up to, uh, to close us out.